to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The third verse pronounces a blessing upon those who read it and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things that are written in it. And hopefully as we've gone through the book together, that has been your experience. I know it's been my experience in teaching it. I feel like I've been blessed in my preparation, my time of meditation and study. And and hopefully that's been the case with you because that's the promise here. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his message titled, Revelation, the Big Picture. Now, here's Pastor Brian. You know, now that we've gone through however many weeks, 22 chapters, you know, by the time you get to the end... You, you're kind of like, wait, okay, what happened in the beginning? Um, you know, you, as you as you journey through over that long period of time, you can forget a lot of things, and so I think it's a it's a great thing to come back, you know, once we've completed everything, and just give it a, just kind of a quick go over once again, just to to touch on some of the main points. All right, so the book of Revelation, of course, Revelation, we know now it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And some Bibles are, if you have an older translation, and especially if you have maybe a Catholic translation, the book is called the Apocalypse. And the Apocalypse means the revelation. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now think about this, for the most part, Everyone, with the exception of the apostles, and and even them to some degree, everyone's encounter with Jesus up until this point, they encountered him in his humanity. Now, the apostles and a handful of other people encountered him in his resurrected form, but even in his resurrected form, he wasn't in his fully glorified state. So, you know, the the memory of Jesus in everybody's mind, of course, would be as Jesus of Nazareth, as the prophet from Galilee, of course, as the son of God as well. But yet they, they would not think of him in his fully glorified condition. They would think of him more in his humanity because that's all anybody had ever known. So when John is commissioned to write this book, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is really showing Christ in his glorified state prior to the actual, you know, basically to the actual second coming of Christ when we will see it literally. So here, John sees it and John writes it out, but it is for the church It is that picture of who Jesus is now that he has ascended into heaven and who he will be when he returns. No longer the humble human person whose glory and deity are veiled behind his flesh. Now he's seen in all of his majesty and magnificence. And that's really much of what's happening here in the book of Revelation. And maybe you remember when we first started to study the book, I I talked about wanting to 
to draw that out or making sure we focused on that, not, not getting lost in all of the prophecy part of it, which is, of course, an important part, but remembering to keep the focus on this is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to him. And so hopefully as we've gone through the book, we've maintained that that perspective where we've been able to see Jesus, we've been able to see him in his glory. And so as we jump in, uh, you know, I'm just gonna kind of break it down sort of by what I think are the, are the divisions that are kind of come naturally in the book. So the third verse pronounces a, a blessing upon those who read it and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things that are written in it for the time is near. And hopefully as we've gone through the book together, that has been your experience. I know it's been my experience in teaching it. I feel like I've been blessed in my preparation, my time of meditation and study. And and hopefully that's been the case with you because that's the promise here. Now, the first chapter, we get immediately, we get a picture of Christ in his glory. And that's what we see in the first several verses of the chapter once we get past the introductory part here where John to the seven churches verse four which are in Asia grace and peace be to you from him who is and was and is to come and the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead the ruler over the kings of the earth and then John goes on and he describes the the vision of Jesus. And we, we see there in, in that fourth verse that this, there's the reference to the, the triune God, the one who is and was and is to come, the Father, the seven spirits that are before his throne, the, the Holy Spirit, obviously, and then Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Here we have in the earliest part of Revelation already a reference to the Trinity. And then verse five, I just have to touch on verse five because I love what it says here. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. That, that fifth verse always gets me. Every time I read through Revelation, to him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's the extent of his love. He shed his blood. That's how much he loved us. He died in order to redeem us. And then, as I said, as you get into um, the, the verses following here from verse nine on through, you get down and you have the, the picture. John sees, verse 12. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white as wool. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in the furnace. His voice was as the sound of many waters. So like I said, this description of Jesus, nobody had seen Jesus like this prior to this moment. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They saw the, the Jesus in his ascension, but no one had seen him like this. So this is the revelation of him in his glorified state. Now, verse 19, 
is the verse maybe you remember early on. This is kind of the key to understanding the, the book because it tells us the, the natural divisions of the book. Write the things which you have seen, and that's chapter one. He's seen the glorified Christ. And then the things which are, the things which are at the present time from John's perspective. And then thirdly, the things which shall take place after this. So that, that's more or less how the book's divided up. Chapter one is the things you've seen. It's Jesus, the glorified Christ. Chapters two and three are the things that are. And chapters two and three deal with the things concerning the church. But once again, just backing up to, to verse 17, when John sees the glorified Lord, notice he says that when he saw him, he fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So there's no mistake about who John is encountering here. Um, I say that because the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, when it, the reference to the first and the last, they would say, oh no, that's not talking about Jesus. He's not the first and the last, that's Jehovah. Well, here it becomes obvious that Jesus is claiming to be the first and the last because he goes on to say, I am he who lives and was dead. And of course, we know that that can only be a reference to Christ. But again, another one of those great, great passages that remind us of the victory of our Lord over sin and over death. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. And so this book is about that fact, that Christ is the victor over sin and death and the devil and all things that have opposed God and afflicted man. He is the Lord over those things. So... This now, the immediate address is to the seven churches. And we have here the first letter to the church of Ephesus. And now all of these churches were located in uh, the area of, that was known as Asia Minor. All of them were located in what we know today as Turkey. And each one of these churches were, of course, they were actual churches, and they had these exact problems that Jesus addresses with them. And now here we've got the seven churches, and seven is used to speak of completion or totality. So in these seven letters to these churches, you have the message of Jesus Christ to his church and with the church of Ephesus, perhaps you remember the issue there. Great church in so many ways, amazing church. The kind of church, if you came into a community, man, I heard that church is happening. That's a church I wanna to go to. But Jesus says that there's a problem there that nobody observing it externally has noticed. It's a problem in the heart. He said that they had left their first love. And so he calls them to remember from where they've fallen, to repent, to go back and do the first works. And so, of course, this can happen to any Christian or any church all throughout 
the, the history of the church, there's always that danger of our hearts growing cold to the Lord. And so the, the point here is to be aware of that and to fight against that, to resist that. If we recognize that that's the case, then we repent from that. And then the second letter is to the church of Smyrna. And the church of Smyrna is the, the persecuted church. And in that day, it was a small church. It was a poor church. It was a persecuted church. There was actually the threat of death. Jesus said that Satan would throw some of you into prison and you would be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And so Jesus speaks to the persecuted church then and to the persecuted church all throughout the ages. So the, the letter to the church of Smyrna has strong application to those Christians in the Middle East today who are being persecuted for their faith. This would be a word of encouragement to them. This would be a word for them uh, to hold on. I, I know your poverty, Jesus says, but, but in reality, you're rich. And he promises that he is going to reward them. This letter to Smyrna is one of the, the two out of the seven where there's no correction that's given. There, there's no word of condemnation. There's no word of correction. It's just full commendation. Uh, the Lord commends them for their faithfulness in the midst of the persecution. And then from there, we move to the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos and the church of Thyatira, the third and the fourth churches, very similar kinds of issues, problems with sin, problems with sexual immorality, problems with idolatry, Slightly different things between Pergamos and Thyatira, but very similar kinds of things. And the Lord uh, gives them a strong rebuke, calls them to repentance, gives them harsh warnings that if they don't repent, there will be a judgment that will come. But they're very much um, corrective in their nature. And then as we come to the third chapter, the church of Sardis. And again, the church of Sardis, Jesus says, you have a name that you're alive, but the fact is you're really dead. So you need to wake up, strengthen the things that remain. And once again, there's a sharp warning to them. But then we come to the church of Philadelphia. And this is the only other church that is not given a word of correction. This Philadelphian church is given just a full commendation by the Lord. And the features of the church of, of Philadelphia that caused the Lord to commend them were that they had kept his word, they had not denied his name, and they were themselves experiencing persecution. But he commends them, and then he gives them an interesting promise. Verse 10 of chapter 3. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. So here is where we see that even though this was written to the church of Philadelphia at the time, sometime before the end of the first century A.D., it obviously has application far out into the future because Jesus is promising here that he's going to keep them from the hour of trial, which is another way of describing the tribulation period. So we have a church that 
is going to be similar to the Philadelphian church that will be in the world just as the, the time of the end comes. So that would be a word to all faithful believers in the world today. All of those that hold fast to the word of God. All of those that do not deny his name. Keeping the word of his patience. So he promises for those who are doing that, that he will keep them from the hour of trial. And then to the, the seventh church, the final church, the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea is another church that receives a strong rebuke. This is the church that says, we are rich, increased with goods. We have need of nothing. Jesus says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They thought they were doing great. They were wealthy. They were no doubt uh, held in high esteem in the local community. And they thought that they were just it. But Jesus says, no, actually, you're, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. He counsels them to buy uh, the pure gold from him. And then this is the, the well-known passage where Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So there you have in the seven churches, you have a variety of, of different scenarios and possibilities. In each one of these, you have the promise to the overcomer that's given. So these are the things that are. And that takes us through the first two things that verse 19 tells us, right? The things that you have seen, the things that are, and now the things that will take place after this. So now we move into the future. Revelation chapter four starts at the removal of the church, the true church, from the world. And Revelation chapter four and chapter five, I believe that, I think you can build a case that Revelation chapter four has sort of buried in there the rapture. That it's at this point at after these things. So after the things of the church, now this is the next thing to occur. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. So after the things of the church, John I think in a sense, maybe being a type of the church, he's caught up to heaven, come up here. I'm gonna show you what's gonna happen now. I'm gonna show you the future. And that is exactly what transpires. But in chapters four and five, we have this picture of the heavenly scene. And again, I think the heavenly scene, when the church is gathered together at the rapture, uh, there at that, that first, I don't know if moment is the right word, but that, you know, as the church is all gathered there in heaven, I think this is that description of what we are going to see. John goes on to describe that he sees a throne. Immediately I was in the spirit, verse two, and behold, a throne set in heaven and one who sat on the throne. And then he goes on to describe the one who is sitting on the, on the throne. It's obviously God that he's describing. And then 
In verse 8, he says, there are four living creatures, each having six wings. They were full of eyes around and within. They do not rest day and night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now the 24 elders, I pointed this out. In, in David's time, David took the priesthood and he divided it into 24 courses. And so there were many hundreds of priests, if not maybe even thousands of priests. But they were divided up into these 24 courses. So the 24 courses of priests, they were representative of the entire priesthood. And so the 24 elders, I think you, I personally think you could build a good case that the 24 elders are representative of the, the saints, the church, maybe even including the Old Testament saints. You've got 12 tribes of Israel. You've got 12 apostles making 24. I, I think it's certainly a representative number here. Now, as we continue, as John continues to describe the heavenly scene, remember this is where he says, I saw on the right hand, I saw in God's right hand, a scroll written on the inside, on the back, sealed with the seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? And you remember John says, I wept much because no one was found worthy. And then suddenly, one of the elders said to John, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, uh, the root of David, to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. So here's Jesus. God the Father is on the throne. Jesus comes. He's the lamb that has been slain. He's the only one that's worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals. Remember the scroll contains the judgments that are going to be poured out upon the earth as we move into the next chapter. And so John is comforted in that the world is not going to go on in its corrupted, sinful, wicked, rebellious, dark, evil way. It's going to be redeemed and it's going to happen through the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then um, verse eight, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. So again, I think this is the song of the church. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And if you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. That is certainly the song of the church. Everything that is said there is true of the church. He was slain and redeemed us to God. What is the church made of? Made up of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's what the church is. So that to me just is further support for the idea that the rapture has occurred and, and this is the church now in heaven. But what is Jesus about to do? The lamb, the lion of Judah, he is about to take the scroll and to open its seals. And that is the beginning of 
the judgment that will fall upon the earth. That, that's the beginning of the tribulation period. For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Bullies and Saints, An Honest Look at the Good and Evil of Christian History by John Dixon. With all the violence, oppression, and bigotry that has been carried out in the name of Jesus throughout church history, many today are questioning if Christianity is actually good. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon takes a critical look at the history of the Christian church, both the horrific and the honorable. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you will understand Christian history with the help of historian John Dixon through a balanced and honest examination of both the good and evil of church history. If you've ever struggled with the atrocities that have been committed by the Christian church, then you need to get this book because the worst of church history is only half the story. The book Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.